0: Welcome to the Mad Singers Management Podcast from MadSingers.com, where entrepreneurs and business managers learn and share. If you like the show, don't forget to leave a review. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Mad Singers Management Podcast. Today I have with me Rob Tebracke. Rob, how are you?
1: I'm doing very well, thank you. Excellent. Thank you for having me.
0: It's a pleasure, and it will be an amazing ride today, I'm sure.
1: Let's make it one.
0: Let's make it one. So Rob, uh, a few people in this world still do not know who you are. Would you mind sharing a little bit with them about who Rob Timbrake is and what he does?
1: Uh, I, for those few people that don't know me, uh, I run Able Finance, and we are a finance and strategy advisory business. We mainly help online businesses and that is e-commerce SaaS affiliate sites, the whole online spectrum with finance and strategy. Now that sounds quite vague, but basically what we do is we help entrepreneurs understand the numbers that they get from their bookkeeper and we help them plan for the future. And that is with strategy setting, but especially also with the financial side of that. So what does it mean for your budgets and your cash flow, uh, these kinds of things.
0: Excellent. And uh, Rob, obviously we have recently worked together on an amazing project to build a a, a great finance course specifically for e-commerce businesses, right? Um, yes. Some people might have seen that on my page already, but uh, I, I want to take, today we take sort of a slightly different spin on it because we, we don't want to focus specifically on e-commerce because obviously you work with people in many many niches and really help them manage their their numbers right so really what what my objective for today is is having a really good conversation of how uh, great entrepreneurs like my audience can really get a little bit better handle on their numbers specifically with some amazing guidance and stuff from yourself right so um one of the First question for me is really, who is sort of the biggest chunk of people that you have worked with, uh, with financial sort of advice? Like what, what's sort of the most common niches that clients are in and so on uh, at the moment for you?
1: The most common ones are actually the three that I just mentioned. So that's e-commerce, SaaS, and uh, affiliate websites. Those cool. are the three common ones but actually what's more common denominator between those why those three niches it's they're used to working remote that of course helps uh, in working with me but in general they are founders and entrepreneurs that love what they're doing and they are really good at either their products or their marketing or their technology but they are actively aware that they uh, that finance is important and that they are not good enough at it. So that's, they realize that finance is becoming one of the things that is a risk or something that's holding back their growth. So that I think that makes the mindset a lot of, of Entrepreneur is, is actually more important than what exact business they're in.
0: That makes a lot of sense. So from, from that point of view then, if, if you sort of take the high level, view and and sort of look at your common clients and and the most common challenges, what's the number one thing that you help most people get right?
1: Um, The biggest one I think is for them to understand how much value understanding the numbers can add. A lot of the entrepreneurs, and I tend to see that mainly in e-commerce guys and girls, is that they look at the numbers from the bookkeeper as in, okay, that's what we've done in the past and that's very interesting. So we made this much profit or we have this much, this much loss in some cases. <laughs> but the step to go towards understanding your past numbers and starting to use them in planning, looking forward, that is usually the biggest step to make. Um, and especially for the e-commerce guys, but in general, if you plan going forward what your business is supposed to do and what resources you need for that, and you make the cash flow and you attach the cash flow that belongs to those resources going forward, so you need to hire, let's say you want to uh, hire a new marketeer or you want to hire a couple of developers, understanding the cash flow impact of all those decisions and seeing that visually what that means for where the business could go or where. If you have enough money to pay for those plans or where you run the risk that if something goes wrong, you are immediately getting into trouble. Those kind of forward looking uh, exercises is the, by far the biggest impact that I've seen.
0: Interesting. So yeah, I mean, I obviously see it when I coach people generally in management, I see it all the time, similar symptoms. So um, I, I guess, Again, sort of from a higher level standpoint, right? When when you are working with clients and when you are helping them to understand their finance, do you find it relatively easy to change their mindset or is it sort of, a, is it generally a longer process?
1: It is in general a longer process because a lot of them come from the points that they just, they used to see finance as, okay, we need to do the books for the tax office and it's like a regulatory requirement. So in some cases you need to start with understanding the insight you can get from just analyzing and what your bookkeeper gives you. And if you have a good bookkeeper, they give you information that you can actually use. You can see what product or what service line you're uh, making the money on. You can see where you are behind schedule or where you're ahead of schedule. That kind of insight it takes a bit of time to get used to having those numbers and to start playing around with them and to actually start enjoying uh, working with them as a a way to run the business. For example, one of my clients is in the the affiliate sphere. They have a massive sheet with a lot of information uh, and they basically didn't look at it. They only looked at some of the key metrics that they looked at, like they were very comfortable with. By now, we've been working with them for a bit more than half a year, but now they have a whole plan for the next three years on what they want to do with which of their sites and how much they expect to be able to make from that. And they're starting to think about, hey, if we have two, we can only hire two people now. Should that person work on this site or the other side? What has the biggest return? So that mindset shifts from, yeah, the numbers matter, but we don't really look at them to Actively using them to make decisions. Yeah, that takes a bit of time.
0: Yeah. But, that and that makes total sense because obviously I see I, I see a lot of the same. What well, the one thing I would say that 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 I often see is it's it's both the prioritization of saying where does the resources go, but it's definitely also the the understanding of the importance of cash flow, right? Because. Yeah. I mean, I, I've had people call me up and say, I can't pay salary tomorrow. What, what am I doing? What am I going to do? Um, and, and that's obviously a, situa- a shitty situation to be in. But obviously, it, it, <laughs> I mean, something comes before it, right? If you exactly. wake up and realize that you can't pay salary tomorrow, like, something you know.
1: earlier on in the process.
0: Exactly. I mean, it's not, a, it's not an urgent issue that just appeared right now, unless you had a huge check not come in or bounce or whatever, right? But but generally, that haven't been the case, right? So the whole sort of cash flow planning is is critical for most businesses, right? Like a lot of the service companies I work with, they basically say that, uh, they, they, they sort of say, oh, but we can't lose money, right? We're, we're just, people pay us for a service, we don't have any inventory, we don't have any risk, we can't lose money, but exactly back to For example, investing in marketing. Like a lot of these companies don't invest in marketing. And when they do it, it's always in waves. So what happens is, you know, they're like, oh, right now we don't have anything. Let's, you know, throw a shit ton of money on Facebook. And, and they spend a ton of money on Facebook ads, suddenly they land a couple of clients and they're like, oh, we can't handle it more, let's stop, right? So it's always this sort of start and stop and not, not any planning behind it because they haven't planned their their people, they haven't planned their staff, they haven't planned workload. And and that's a lot of the scenarios that I see happens very, very frequently. Yes.
1: Same here. And that's the interesting part because indeed, the service-based ones are usually the ones that say like, ah, oh, we have a very simple business, we don't need that. But understanding if you push on marketing, what return you're going to get from that and what, what kind of delay that, retur- that return is going to come in, that is, an ins- that, is, that is finance, that is planning, and that you need that to plan your team uh, and to plan your, your cash Yeah.
0: Uh, and, and I would say, like, so, so I obviously run a large outsourcing company as well, right? And, and we've grown to about 130 people now. And, and I, I think, for me, one of the biggest reasons behind our ability to grow is really the fact that we've had that, a very good process for that, right? Like, I've planned the growth out very well and when you look at it from a high level standpoint like we've really been able to to sort of take the opportunities that came along right when we've had a big client come in saying you know i need x amount happening tomorrow like we've always been able to accommodate it because we have had full control of our cash flow we have had very good systems and we have known exactly what from a cash flow perspective what we've been able to to do, right? And I think that's that's critical because sometimes when, when big opportunities come along and people go jump on them, they don't realize that the sometimes the actual money doesn't come into a month or two later. And that can be detrimental, right?
1: It absolutely can. And that's actually a nice bridge because there are two reasons why things go wrong in the service business. And that is one Lack of planning, but second all is the lack of risk management. Um, entrepreneurs in general have a tendency to wear pink glasses. I mean we take risks that normal people wouldn 't take because um, there are a lot of things you can 't control. A lot of things go not as you 've planned, and entrepreneurs in general are super optimistic about what they can achieve in the next well, three or six months, how many customers they can get and or how many people they can hire. And find uh, that suit their business Yeah, one of the things i'm always telling my clients on is can you think negative can you see what are the risks that are potentially threatening your business but what you just described if you have the processes in place and you have uh, a big customer coming in that asks a lot and you need to accommodate that but if they pay two months later what if they actually pay three or four months later, or what if they go bankrupt and they don't pay at all? Is that something you can handle? Is that something that you know what you would do about if that situation occurs? And if you are aware of those kind of risks, you can much better decide what risk you're willing to take or not. If that customer would be so big that he or she is like 60 or 70% of your revenue and they pay two months later maybe that is a risk you shouldn't be willing to take so maybe you should reject that customer at that point but that requires that you think about like what the risks are and what you can do to mitigate those risks and i think that's the second part of the mindset where uh, there's a lot of uh learning curve ahead for a lot of entrepreneurs
0: definitely okay interesting that, uh, that makes a lot of sense and and uh yeah i mean In in many ways, it seems obvious, but like with proper financial planning, with proper outlooks, like actually seeing your cash flow, it also helped mitigate one of the risks that I, or one of the things that I see happening consistently in business, which is people are consistently reinvesting, right? Which basically means they have no control of what they're doing, but they're using. Reinvestment as a tool, as a crutch, to to justify the lack of profits, right? So, uh, actually, a lot of entrepreneurs I, I know have started getting on this profit-first wave, which is amazing. Um, but still, a ton of people who are like, "Oh, yeah, we aren't making money because we're reinvesting in the business, and you know, it's gonna come back manifold and so on." But they they don't do the very simple step of actually validating those profits right they don't do the the sort of simple steps of actually making uh, the right decision with those profits because again saying i'm reinvesting sounds easy but but really in most cases what happens is they have a bunch of expenses and they're not wanting to cut those because they're afraid of stopping growth or whatever right but really when you reinvest in your business what you want to do is you wanna make it very, very clear exactly how much profits you have from your day-to-day operation. You wanna separate that money, and if you do decide to reinvest a a certain percentage of that, you wanna, again, spend time looking at the finances and really plan in where are they gonna get reinvested.
1: Exactly, that needs to be a really deliberate decision where, what are you going to invest and what is the return that you expect from that? So that afterwards you can actually check, was that the right decision or not? So that yes. you, if the first, if the first time you're making the wrong decision, that can happen, but you should learn from that. So the next year you make a better decision yep. or the next period. And you, you are very positive about profit first. I am a little bit skeptical on that. I mean, it works really well for fairly stable businesses. But if you're in a really fast-growing business, then profit-first is actually quite dangerous because you allocate a certain percentage of your revenue to all the specific cost groups. And if you're growing really fast, the percentage that you should be spending on, let's say, overhead costs, like uh, like management salaries, etc., should go down as a percentage of the revenue really, really fast. So profit-first... Is a really good tool if applied correctly.
0: Yeah, I, I, what what I like about profits first specifically, I, I totally agree. And there's definitely also. I mean, I've worked with a lot of e-commerce businesses as well, where it just doesn't make sense to to necessarily always pull out profits all the time, where where you really want to reinvest to to build on growth, right? Um, but but again, like even when you do that, you want to make sure. Sure, you have really, really, really clear outlook on exactly what you're reinvesting, exactly what's being built on it for growth, right? And and I still see a lot of e-commerce guys don't do that. They're just kind of like, oh, I'm used to never having money because it's all quote reinvested. But basically what happens is they don't sit down and look at the expenses. They don't sit down and look at the planning because they get so used to not having money, right? Whereas that's yeah, not but a great there's, way.
1: there's a difference between reinvesting and wasting money on things that are not returning. If you are, um, if your sales are through the roof and you are struggling to find the money to buy new inventory, reinvesting every dollar you have in new inventory is, makes a lot of sense. But if you are struggling to get traction and you're reinvesting everything in marketing, you really want to check if your return on your marketing spend is good enough that it's actually making sense, or if you're just burning money or throwing money in the pit.
0: And, and that's, I, I totally agree. And that's probably the number one place where I see most people burn themselves, right? Because you're you're hundred percent right. In in e-commerce, as example, uh, with stock, it can make a lot of sense, um, but pretty much any other areas, you, you have to, again, make very, very conscious decisions. Not saying it can't work and it can't be the right thing, but you have to really, really know and understand your numbers. Because um, what, one example i see, one of my clients was, um, they, they were doing some campaigns around Christmas, right? And they were, they were doing some bundles and you know they're like, okay, we're not gonna make a ton of these campaigns. It's probably gonna be 10, 15% profit margin, but you know it's Christmas, we wanna sell a lot, we have a lot of inventory. And what ended up happening was they didn't realize that bundling two products together basically ended up doubling the freight costs, which, which meant that instead of making 10 to 15%, they ended up losing 10%. In every single sale, Ouch. and that was a very, very bad Christmas. Now, the problem was again, because the the, the client didn 't know their numbers very well, the challenge was they realized in March that they lost a shit ton of money in Christmas, right so they were doing bookkeeping way behind. they were not like right. on top of their numbers and when you get resolved that far when you think oh christmas was great we sold a bunch of products right when you haven't got your numbers under control that sort of thing can happen
1: and the, oh and it starts with the discipline uh, of either yourself or probably your either your internal bookkeeper or your external, your outsourced bookkeeper ideally within the first week of the new month you need to have your numbers from the previous months you yep. cannot If you get, if there's a three month delay between what happens and you understanding what happens, you are three months late in taking action to correct it or to improve it. So if you're getting uh, the numbers in the first week of the following month, you still have three weeks to correct whatever was happening in this new month. So you're really on top of it. So the delay is almost zero. And now what, what more than a month in between that you just can't use your numbers at that point anymore because you're out of touch
0: one one of the big specific challenges here was very much around different billing cycles so what happened was that uh, the, the 3pl shipping company they were using weren't actually billing them on a monthly basis and the, the the way they were doing the bookkeeping they hadn't probably as probably assigned the specific cost to each sale, et cetera. So it actually took them a long time before, it wasn't because the numbers weren't there, but it was before they put the numbers together and actually started realizing, wait, wait a minute, the shipping for this specific order or these specific orders were significantly higher than usual, why was that? And then start investigating, right? But when you just looked like purely at the we sold X number of units versus we made, it looked good. But when they then started comparing with the amount of money they spent on shipping, it, it still looked okay when you looked at the total overall number, but it didn't look okay when you started drilling down into the details and looking at it on an order level. So again, like if they hadn't actually after a couple of months started drilling down into the detail, they might not even have realized
1: And they may have done the same thing again this year. Yes. Uh, So I understand that a lot of the entrepreneurs, they don't like the finance parts. I mean, they're passionate about their product or the marketing or, uh, or managing the team. But having this kind of foundational information in place so that if you want or need that, you can dive deep relatively easily. It is in my eyes, a no brainer because it prevents you so much trouble later on.
0: Definitely. And i like, I'll just to bring out another example, right? Like when you do e-commerce as an example, or when you do any business, right? It's really, really, really critical that you keep including overhead costs. Like it's, it's very easy to say, you know, I'm selling a product at $10 or I'm buying it at $10 and I'm selling it at 20 So, you know, I'm going to make $10 every time. Now, you might be doing that, but if you're spending a significant amount of money on support costs, on overhead costs, on ads, like you're, you're obviously potentially very likely to lose money. And, and having those projections that you're talking about is so, so critical to make sure that you grow at a reasonable rate, right? Because a lot of the time, some numbers you can sometimes keep in your head and kind of get away with, but when it starts getting down to adding overheads and exactly how much of uh, from a percentage standpoint, how much that costs you, that can be very difficult, particularly when you're working in seasonal businesses or uh, like e-commerce where you have a lot of sales in November, December and so on, right? It can be very, very difficult to sort of juggle that right. So, yeah.
1: Absolutely. Um, regarding the shipping, I, I personally would say that the shipping cost should, by the way, be in the cost of good sold and i'm still frustrated that most people put their advertising cost that is purely linked to the sales uh, they, they make it a lump sum you should break that out in at least the channel but ideally even in your books or have it access to it uh on a, a product or by on a campaign level because like you said with, with the bundling the returns per campaign may be so incredibly diff- different that if your overall picture looks positive that hides that some campaigns may be doing so much better than others.
0: Yeah, definitely, definitely.
1: But it all comes down to mean, the whole, uh, Mm. it, it, in my eyes, it's actually quite, the process is fairly simple. You make in the the beginning of the year or actually the end of the previous year or periods, you make a plan for the next year. What do you want to achieve? What do you need for that? like well, how many resources do you need How and what is your, uh, uh, what, yeah, so what, what results do you expect from those investments in expanding your team or in, in investing in inventory, et cetera? And along the way, every month, you check if you are still on track. And if you're off somewhere, and I guarantee everybody's gonna be off at almost every metric, but if you're off materially, substantially, you want to dive in why and where. And the more you do that, the more you understand where your uh, mistakes are in your planning skills, because everybody has their own blind spots. The more you can improve your forecasting skills and the more accurate your forecast is going to be. And the more accurate your forecast is, the less stress you're going to get because the less surprises you're going to get.
0: So you're saying you don't want a surprise for Christmas.
1: I definitely do not want a financial surprise for Christmas.
0: Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> what what about SaaS businesses? So we've talked a little bit about e-commerce and so on and affiliates. So what about SaaS businesses? What what sort of the key things you see when you're working with a typical SaaS?
1: The typical thing with SaaS is the, well, the there is of course a distinction. Are they bootstrapping or are they? Uh, going to like the venture capital routes because those are very very different routes in terms of how you look at the business for those who are at the vc routes the critical thing is runway management how many months of expenses do you have in your bank and how when do you need to start fundraising and with what kind of milestones do you want to achieve before you can actually successfully close an investment so there the forecasting is really important because if you raise money too early you may not have enough milestones fixed or so your valuation is going to be lower. And if you wait too long, you run the risk that you put yourself in a corner where you're running out of time because you're running out of money. Yeah. With the, with the bootstrap guys, uh, in, in, that's, in a way it's easier because there is uh, more stability in, in general. For them, it's really uh, the, um, the, qu- the question, how much are you able and willing to invest in development of new features and expansion and how much are you able and willing to invest in marketing? But the beauty of SaaS, of course, is the stable revenue. So, and really high gross margins. Uh, So for the bootstrappers, it's more, how much are they able and willing to invest and are you able and willing to grow to a point that it's actually sustainable? Yeah. Last time I spoke with a guy that is running a SaaS company, fully bootstrapped. And he basically has not been able to pay himself uh, because he's investing every dollar that comes in in developing new features and yep. in his particular case that is a legitimate choice because he has another business where he does get paid but that of course in general is not a really healthy situation so you need to get to the point that you can sustain yourself and uh, your team from it as soon as possible
0: well i, I would i'd still say there could still be some like because when I see that, and and again, it's very easy to say, "Oh, we're investing in new features." But but really, what you want to do is you still want to take that pile of money, you still want to turn around and say, "Where are these money spent best?" Because maybe some of the money would be better spent in expanding, right? Maybe some of the money would be better spent in, you know, more staff. So a- again, like I I totally get what you're saying, but I. I I see so many times that people don't sit down and do a proper evaluation of where is the money getting reinvested, right? And is it the right place? So yeah.
1: True, but you need, you need the information in place to, make, to, make, to be able to make that judgment call. Yeah. And if you have the past information, you can make a better forecast. And based on what you predict that's gonna happen in the future, you should make the investment decision whether you're going to add Indeed, whether you're going to invest it in marketing or in new developers, or that you decide to pay yourself a bigger
0: salary. Definitely. Definitely. Okay, Rob, that, uh, that makes a lot of sense. So, um, yeah, definitely anything else that you sort of feel we, we should touch on today? Anything else you feel we have missed out from a sort of high-level financial point of view that some of my listeners would really benefit from hearing?
1: Uh, not something new but i want to basically reiterate it is incredibly important to have a baseline plan that you want to achieve that is fully pink glasses as you think it you're going to achieve and you want to prepare everything you can to achieve that but make a backup plan for when things go wrong when things uh, are slower or more difficult than expected um so in a way, plan for the success, but also prepare for the setbacks. You don't want to be caught off guard by a setback and therefore immediately run into financial troubles because you were taking too many risks. So take, uh, prepare your business financially for things that are going bad. And I know that it's difficult for most entrepreneurs, but it really can save your business when things happen.
0: That makes a lot of sense, that makes a lot of sense. So Rob, obviously as I mentioned in the beginning, we have just released a, a course which is called Finance for E-Commerce and Entrepreneurs, which is available on my site. Um, anything else, if people want to get in contact with you otherwise, what's the best places to do it and any preferences and contact methods, et cetera?
1: um the best way is probably just through email rob at able-finance.com
0: able and finance I would
1: en- indeed encourage especially the e-commerce people to have a look at the course because it it provides a really good foundation uh to to get your shit together
0: i love the the language of that I, think, I was uh, a bit
1: hesitant. Could I say that on this
0: podcast? <laughs> we, we, we're fairly free willed on this podcast, so that's okay. Very good. Well, that's good, Rob. Uh, thank you so much for joining me today. I hope my listeners will find this very valuable, and uh, I look forward to seeing all of you guys next time. Thank you for listening to the Mad Singers Management Podcast. Please leave a review. It means the world to us. You can also learn more about management at MadSingers.com.